You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Brothers and sisters, do not feel embarrassed by the hard things Jesus says. Because Jesus knows better than we do what sinners need to hear. And these hard words are drawing sinners and tax collectors. And you know what? It's making the Pharisees crazy that he's saying these things. Which leads to that second group there. Second, we learn that the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. No surprise here, right? Why are they here? Why are those people? This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And that word receive there, it seems a little bit passive as if Jesus is just sort of like sitting at a table and is like, sinners, you may come if you wish. It's much more active than that. It, it actually means this man has goodwill towards sinners. He is happy to see them. He wants more sinners to come around him. And and for the Pharisees, this is an accusation. Basically, what they're saying is, hey, everybody, don't listen to this man. This man receives sinners. And you know who else receives sinners? Satan. So don't listen to Jesus because he's in league with Satan. We know God doesn't care about bad people. So here's the scene. On the one hand, You've got sinners and tax collectors leaning in. Wait, what? What was that? What were you saying? And on the other hand, we've got scribes and Pharisees saying, don't listen to him. He lets bad people come around. Everything that follows is Jesus' response, all right? So let's look at the parables. First of all, parable of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." All right, so the Pharisees and the scribes, they are people who like to draw lines. That's what they like to do. They like to decide who is in, and they like to decide who is out. And it's very important that once you have decided some people are out, it's very important that you keep them out, okay, because they are impure, and you don't want to get around them because it might rub off on you. It's, it's spiritual cooties, all right? They're on the outside. They stay on the outside, and they actually think God is pleased with this. God wants us to separate from these kind of people. And Jesus says, no, let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's say you have a hundred sheep and one wanders off. Do you let that sheep go? No, you go and find it. No self-respecting shepherd would say, well, you know, that sheep, that sheep really had it coming to him. It's probably better for that sheep that he has wandered off. You know, I've always known that sheep was stupid. Doesn't surprise me one bit. And you know what? It's probably better for all the other sheep because we don't want that sheep influencing the other sheep with this wandering bit. 
the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes and he finds the one, and he carries it on his shoulders because he's so happy that he's found his sheep. And then in this passage, he actually gathers all the people around in the village and says, come with me and let's have a party. I'm super excited I found my sheep. Let's just leave that there for a second. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons, righteous persons, who need no repentance. All right, let's look at the parable of the lost coin, verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in this parable, we have a woman who is in a panic. She is tearing her house up. She's lost Uh, she's lost a coin, which would have been about a day's wages, all right? So, if she's got 10 coins, she's lost one, she's lost 10% of her income. It's not the end of the world, but it's a significant amount. And so, she tears up her house, and she finds the coin, and when she finds it, she goes and she gets her neighbors, and she too has a party. And Jesus says, this is how God is. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I've, I've been troubled all week by one little part of this. I'm like, who does this? I mean, like, if I came home one afternoon and, like, all my neighbors are in my house just, like, singing and dancing because Erica has thrown a party, and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, I lost a $10 bill, and... Uh, we kind of turned the, the house over, and I found it. So I went and got everybody, and I was like, let's have a party. I found this $10 bill. I would be like, okay. <laughs> That's weird. But here's, here's what I, and I, I really just kind of came to this this morning, I think. You know, this is what I think. I think the point here is that God doesn't do what we expect, Right? God, God, that's not what I would expect. That's not what I would do. But in the case of sinners here, this, this is what God does. This is how what seems insignificant to us really excites God. All right, so I want to pause right here before we carry on. I just want to apply these, these two parables real fast, just a couple of points before we move on to the prodigal son. First of all, number one, the big gigantic point of these two parables is that God pursues sinners and He's really excited when He finds them. The common denominator here and in all three of these passages is that there is a party. Something is lost, something is found, and there's a party. See, the Pharisees thought that God was pleased by how they acted towards sinners. They were like, if you were out and God, God wants nothing to do with you, and it makes him happy when we enforce that. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got it wrong. God pursues that sinner on the outside. He leaves the 99, and he's really excited when he finds the one. God doesn't take joy in separation. God doesn't take joy when we separate ourselves, when we make rules so that we can keep rules so that we can keep rules. There's no party there. Parties are against the rules, right? God is a pursuer, and he wants to find those who are lost, And then he has a party that lasts forever, and the angels rejoice. Secondly, the thing I think we learn from this passage is that God cares deeply 
about individuals. God cares deeply about individuals. And we see this consistently throughout the the Gospels where Jesus is willing to stop. He's fine with the crowds, but he's also willing to stop for the woman at the well, for the woman with the hemorrhage. He stops and reaches that one woman at the well who seems so insignificant and through her reaches an entire Samaritan village. And the fact that God will pay attention to one person speaks volumes about how much he values a single soul. As of this summer, I have five children. Let's say we go to Disney World. And once they're older, we say, hey, everybody, you guys go and have fun. We'll meet back here, and we'll leave in three hours. All right, everybody go. So Erica and I, we go back to the spot. Four of them come back. One of them does not. I don't say, well, honey, we've got 80%. (laughs) That's pretty good. Let's go. That kid's been kind of a drag all weekend anyway. No, we organize a search party. We, We look for the child. I'm not leaving without him because I care about my children individually. And each one of them is, is valuable to me. That doesn't mean I don't love all of them. As a matter of fact, it serves my soul as a dad when my other children are concerned too. Which really leads me to my, my, my last point that we'll make, and then we'll move on to the prodigal son. And, and that is this, just the question, what about the 99 in this parable? Does this parable mean that God doesn't care about the 99? Are we all wasting our time here gathered this morning? And that's, that's, maybe, that's already, maybe you've already thought that, right? Maybe we should all be out there and not in here. So let's think about this. We are here this morning to worship together. And we are doing what God has created us as human beings to do, and it's a glorious thing. And He is glorified by this. We're not here for us. We're here for Him. We're here to honor him and to worship him. So the goal of evangelism is to find more worshipers, right? So in seeking the one, we're basically going out and saying, hey, I have found what it is that I was created to do, and I want you to be a part of that too. Please, please understand this. The shepherd values all of the sheep. The woman values all of the coins. I value all of my children. Of course God is not indifferent to the 99. He loves the 99, and he wants to add to the 99 so that the sheep that is rescued can worship. And if we have the heart of God, then part of what we do each week should be seeking more sheep who can be worshipers. All right. So it's possible at this point, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're still leaning in, But Jesus is looking behind them to the Pharisees and the scribes. So he presses in a little further with a third parable. Very familiar. Try try as best you can to hear this with fresh ears this morning. Let's read it. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. It is so important that we grasp the scandalous nature of this boy's rebellion. It's very important. This isn't a coin dropped. This isn't a sheep wandered off. This is a son who is in shameful rebellion against his father. So this son is basically saying to his father, I want you dead because I want the inheritance that I'm going to get when you're dead. I want it now. And then he goes and he spends it on immoral living in a different country. Okay? So again, if you minimize the sin of the son, you misunderstand the extravagant grace of the father. And we see here, this is, we don't see the progression of lostness in the coin or in the sheep, but we see this progression of lostness in the son here. We see he's in a hurry to sin. Once he's made his decision to a rebel, he's off. I, I got to get to it. I've, I've got this appetite for sin, and I want it. I want to taste it. And he doesn't care who he hurts. His appetite for sin is more important than his family. He's controlled by his lust. Let me ask you this morning, just personally stop for a moment of application. Are you here this morning contemplating your desire to throw it all away for the sake of sin? Are you on the verge of leaving your family, of of leaving the faith? Let me appeal to you right now to continue to listen because it's a lie Consider what you're believing. Sin destroys you. It destroys your relationship with your loved ones. And most importantly, it destroys your relationship with God. And so from his urgency, his his hurry to sin, we see that he has this false freedom. There's this false freedom, this excitement at the beginning of sin. I'm finally doing what I want to do. I, I knew it. I, I, this feels so free. That first time you look at something on the internet that you shouldn't look at, that first flirtatious conversation, that first shady deal, that first time you swipe that credit card, and in that moment you're like, this, this is living. This is how it's supposed to be. But sin is a killer. This is a, you're, you're a fish on a hook at that point. You've been caught. Which leads then, thirdly, to the slavery of sin. This is the misery of lostness. This is the heart of the father having compassion on the son for his misery and lostness. He's living off the father's resources. Suddenly there's a famine. The resources run out. He's still got the appetite for sin, but he can't feed it. He can't even feed himself. We cut ourselves off and we attach ourselves. We were created as worshipers, y'all. That's what we were created to do. God created us as worshipers. When we sinned, we ceased worshiping God, but that didn't change who we are. And so as soon as you stop worshiping God, you, you attach yourself to something else. Maybe it's someone other than your spouse. Maybe it's your job or the money you make. Maybe it's your desire to have a perfect family or a perfect house. Maybe it's your children and their education and their achievements. Maybe it's just something on a screen. But you become attached to it instead of God. And you started to feel so free. This is right. This is good. God's word, my parents, my spouse, they were all keeping me back. And then you realize that you're enslaved. 
And all that God intended you to have as his child is lost. Your peace, your contentment, your friendships, your family, your purpose. America's answer to this problem is to sin more and buy more, feed the monster, find someone else, watch something else, put something else on social media so that you can know people like you, and it's bondage. It's absolute bondage. This man is as low as he can go. He's stuck in a pig pen, pig pen drooling over slop. But in this story, praise God, he is right where he needs to be. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you realize you can't know yourself apart from God? Apart from God, we don't know ourselves. Jesus says he came to himself. Before that, he didn't know himself. Now he knows. He knows about himself. He knows about his father. I have nothing. My father has everything. And this is why, by the way, when Jesus says you have to renounce everything, sinners lean in because they're like, that's okay, I have nothing. I have nothing anyway. What you want? Jesus, what do you want? I've got nothing. You can have it all, the, the job, the cars, the sex, the money. It's empty. It's a trap. You can have it. And he gets up and he leaves the pig pen and he rehearses this little speech as he goes along. He says, I won't even ask to be a son anymore. I'll just, I'll just ask to be a slave. Now let me ask you at this point, how do you view God? Try to think like you've never heard this parable before. I know that's hard, but just try. How would we expect God to respond? How would we respond? Is he always angry? Is he sitting in his house with his arms crossed, oh, if that boy comes back, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. It's about time you came back. It's about time you finally got it all together, finally figured out that I love you, kind of. <laughs> look, look at what Jesus says, verse 17. And he arose and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer to be worthy to to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring that fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and he is alive again and he was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The father is waiting, and he is watching. He sees his son in the distance. Jesus said he feels compassion, and he goes running to meet him. Y'all, old men did not run in that society. To to show your legs was shameful. All right? So either he had to run. I'm picking this thing up. Hold on. Better. It was an okay point to stop. Either he had to run and have his 
robe coming up, or he had to tuck his robe into his belt and run out and, 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 and run towards the sun through the entire town. Now, the boy would have been coming into town, and he would have expected to walk through the village in shame back home. But get this, because this is so key, and if you, if you don't see the cross here, I'll explain it to you later, okay? But the father takes the shame by running out to meet the son so that the son doesn't have to experience the shame of coming back. Father takes that on himself. And then just to make it clear, just so you all know, my son is home. And and bring the best robe and and bring the ring and and kill the calf. He's, He's back. God is so ready to receive sinners. It only takes the slightest change of heart. He doesn't even make him come all the way. Just the slightest change. The son doesn't even get to finish his speech. You know, it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, and, I would, and the father's like, shut up. Go and get the robe. I don't, I don't want to hear all that. <laughs> You're my son. You're home. And for the third time in this chapter, we see there's a party. Pharisees, they're all standing out there. Pharisees. How does God feel about love, about losing the lost, about finding the lost? How does he feel? God loves to receive sinners. There's one more important part of the story. We can't overlook it. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered the father, Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes and he has kill- you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead, and he's alive. And he was lost, and he's found. Now, I want, I want us to think about this, okay? Because none of us in this room want to be the older brother, right? We want to be the prodigal son. Prodigal son is humble. The older brother is a jerk, okay? But we have to listen carefully for the next few minutes because we're the people inside, Right? I, me especially. I'm the professional religious guy, okay? So we, we have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. First of all, the older brother is disgusted by the younger brother's return. He's been out in the field working. He's keeping the rules. I've served you. I have never disobeyed you, never once. And he approaches the house, and he hears music and dancing, and you know what he does? He doesn't go to the father to ask. He goes to a servant, Right? Because that's what religious people do. They go to each other. They don't go to God. They go to each other. Did you hear that dancing? While we were working, there is there's partying. I have lived in this house for 30 years, and never once have we ended the day with dancing. And the servant says, well, you don't understand. You see, your, your brother's come back, and he's angry, and he refuses to go in. What do you mean? He is welcome back. Don't you know what he did? And here's the big question for us in this story. When we encounter someone who is in deep sin, is our response compassion or disgust? And don't just think about the easy sins. 
Because Jesus isn't talking about the easy sins. Think about the child abuser, the racist guy with the Confederate flag on his truck, the greedy, privileged one percenter. And what about that person who did something to you that was truly wrong? What if that person came to faith and showed up here at CBC? See, the problem is when the pure gospel is preached, those kinds of people are drawing near to hear. So what will be our response? Disgust or compassion? Secondly, the older brother feels entitled to the blessings that come from his father. The older brother's attitude can be summarized as, I work, I deserve. That's what the older brother is saying. I work for you, I deserve. And this is the difference between the two brothers right here. One says, I deserve, and the other says, I'm desperate. That's the difference. One says, I deserve. The other says, I'm desperate. He's, he's looking at the Father, and he's saying, I obey. That's what you want, right? I do what you ask. I don't like it. I endure it. In fact, I'd like to be partying with him, but I'm here. And this is a sad picture of those who, who are close to the things of God, but there's no joy. They come to church. They're bored. They stand during the music. I don't know what everybody's singing about. There's a lot of stuff that you'd like to be doing deep in your heart, but you're like, I'm not going to do it. But it sure seems like those other people are having more fun than I am. And you see other Christians having a good time, and you're like, I kind of resent that. God, I do all this stuff for you, and you never give me anything. You never bless me, and I deserve blessing. Y'all, many of you know If you grew up in the South, this is the heart of Southern Christianity. I go to church, but I don't like it. I'd rather be out in the boat on Sunday morning. That is is the heart of the South. It's a heart that is blind to the joys of knowing God. It's a heart that refuses to celebrate all the good that God has provided. Third, the father tenderly entreats the older brother to join the celebration. There's a party going on in the house. The older brother is sitting outside on the porch. Again, what do you do? What do I do? I go out there and I say, son, you better change your attitude, and I want you to get in there, and I want to see some dancing, and I want to see you liking it. Right? We come in with law. Right? That's what we expect God to do, but that's not what the father does. Instead, he comes with compassion. Luke says he entreats him. Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Son, all I have is yours. You're always with me. If you want a goat to celebrate with your friends, you can have a goat. You've never asked for a goat from me before. But right now we're celebrating that your brother has come home. He was dead and now he's alive. Come inside and join. And you know what this means? Praise God, this means there is hope for Pharisees because God is in the business of pursuing sinners, all of them. He's seeking the ones on the inside, and he's seeking the ones on the outside. So if you're here every week and you're a little mad about it, you grumble in your heart about those who don't serve as much as you do or who don't give as much as you do, or maybe, maybe you were here years ago and you're like, I don't know, all these people, it just doesn't feel the same The Father says to you, those are important things, but this is my church, 
And I, I, I paid the blood of my precious son for it. So for now, why don't you just come in and enjoy the celebration? If nothing else, just celebrate that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And the story ends. It ends abruptly. It's almost as if the father leaves us with a decision to make. Am I going to stand outside feeling entitled? Or am I going to be grumbly and refuse to come in? No, stop grumbling and come into the party. Three, three quick points of conclusion, and then we will sing with great reason to sing this morning. Number one, understand Jesus is explaining what the Father is like. Do you want to know what God is like? Read the Gospels. Look at the things Jesus says. Listen to what He says You can make up your own God, or you can understand what God has revealed about himself. How do you view God? Many Christians tend to focus on the anger of God. He is angry at you for sinning. He is ready to punish sin. Since he has to punish somebody, he's punished his son, Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, God won't punish you. And that picture of God starts with the anger of God and ends with the anger of God. This is not the picture in this passage. Is sin bad? Yes. Does it destroy our fellowship with God? Yes. Did Jesus have to come and die so that we wouldn't have to? Yes. In the end, will there be those who have not believed and who experience eternal punishment? Yes, yes, yes. The Bible affirms all of those things in other places. But none of it is rooted in the anger of God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God is love. Clearly, God is not stomping around heaven looking for souls to punish. He is seeking souls to save. He's not standing there with his arms crossed when sinners come home. He is running out to receive them. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? Just so we're clear. He is telling a story about a son who does the most shameful, scandalous, hateful, immoral things imaginable. And when he seeks to return to the father, the father immediately responds and throws a party. And so we need to understand from this passage and others that God is not like us. He is not like us. Praise God, he's not like us. We would not respond like the father in the parable. At best, we would accept the prodigal reluctantly, and at worst, we would say, forget about it, kid. That's why we call it amazing grace. This is the heart of God. Jesus Christ receives sinners. Do we? Do we love what God loves? If so, we have reason to celebrate. Secondly, are you the desperate prodigal, or are you the deserving older brother? Who are you in this parable? Are you desperate or are you deserving? Are you joyful or are you grumbling? This passage begins with Jesus speaking clear truth. Tax collectors and sinners are leaning in. Pharisees are mad about it. And I think the difference between the two is simple. Sinners come to Jesus in desperation and Pharisees come thinking they deserve something. The sinner hears the message of Jesus and says, you want it all, you can have it, it's worthless anyway. The son in the pig pen is not unclear that he has nothing. 
On the other hand, there's the Pharisee who comes thinking he has something to offer. He comes thinking that he comes to the table for something that God is, can use. He's so impressed by his own wealth and his influence and his talent that he says, surely God wouldn't want me to give all that up in order to come to Christ. And I am convinced that it is the Pharisee in us that causes us to want to apologize for Jesus. And I would simply ask you to consider the pattern of your heart in light of this text. Do you tend to live before God in desperation, or do you think of yourself as deserving? And the answer to that will tell a lot about your own soul. Third, Jesus Christ came to seek out and save the lost, including Pharisees. Let's just close by stating again the whole point of this chapter, y'all. God loves to receive sinners. Sinners on the outside, sinners on the inside, tax collectors, harlots, Pharisees, and he responds with amazing grace when sinners repent. He doesn't minimize your sin. Your sin is bad. What the prodigal son did is real bad. Your sin is bad, and the only remedy for it was Jesus on a cross, but the Father is searching for sinners, and there is a party awaiting if you will come to him. So, that young man in that pig pen, he came to his senses. He saw himself as he really was. He saw his father as he really was. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to come home to God in the person of Jesus Christ this morning. See your sin for what it is. See God for who he is. Trust in the love of your heavenly father. Come home to him knowing that he will run to you and we will celebrate with the angels for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for passages like this that just wreck what we think. You've made it so clear. It's the fog of sin that makes us unclear. God, we do praise you for your grace. We sing songs like all we have is Christ, and then a passage like this comes and reminds us, no, it's true, all we have is Christ. Lord, for sinners in here, I pray that there would be deliverance. For Pharisees, I pray there would be humility, and in all of us, may there be a reawakening of awareness of your grace and your love. Thank you. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.